I think um, uh, we're singing this song, the grace of God, it's, it's seeking us out. Uh, we have a God who's seeking us out. Um, and all of that seeking is motivated by this deep love that he has for us. So today, what today is all about, today's about casting a vision for the rest of this year. For the rest of 2018, we're casting a vision. And I, believe, I honestly, with all my heart, I believe in what is happening at the Grove and what we are doing. And I think we all believe in and we love what's happening at the Grove. And so the vision for 2018, what we want to see happen now, it's time, it's ready, is for us to start inviting more people into this Grove into this church, into this God who has sought us out. We're inviting people into this environment of people who have been sought out by God and have been loved deeply by him. What we've been saying is that your story is hidden in the Christian story and the more and more you come and are part of this, the more you find your story and the more you become more and more who you're made to become. This is you finding your story. And so what we want to do is invite people in to find their story in Christ. And what we're inviting them into, are you ready for this? Listen, what we're inviting them into is a grove of love. And the way we want to do this, the way we want to invite people in, you know, we have this grand vision of all of this stuff we want to see happen in the Grove. And we've got three environments that we really want to see flourishing in the Grove. One is Sunday mornings. Two is our gospel communities where people are having these deep, authentic friendships that are flourishing, that are all rooted in Christ. And third, our discipleship groups where people are really growing and becoming who they're made to become. And they're being equipped for ministry wherever they are in their workplace, in their neighborhoods, wherever it is, they're being equipped for these things. We want to do all of those awesome. And the reality is that we don't have enough people and enough resources to do all of those awesome. So what we're going to do for 2018, we're going to focus in on inviting people into Sunday morning. So it's going to be the hashtag invite people in on Sunday morning year, okay? So you guys can do that all that you want. Hashtag 2018. Hashtag 2018 is the year of inviting on Sunday morning. It's a long hashtag. If you don't know what the hashtags are, then ask someone next to you, I guess. So this sermon, in one sense, it's the easiest type of sermon to give because it gets at the root of what Christianity produces, which is love. But in another sense, it's the hardest type to give. And here's the reason why. We all intellectually know that we ought to love. But volitionally, we can't seem to muster up the energy, the motivation within us to love like we're meant to love. The Bible, it offers some very tremendous wisdom for us on who we are meant to be and who we are. And here's what it says. The Bible says we are not primarily thinkers. We are not primarily doers, and we are not primarily feelers, but we are primarily lovers. At the heart of who we are, the heart of humanity is we are meant to love. And the great problem that humanity has is that we can't seem to love like we know we are meant to love. 
and we know it deep down if we will be honest with ourselves. Why is that? What's happened? Why can't we seem to do what we know we should be doing? Today, this is what Jesus tells us. He tells us why it's so difficult for us to love. And then he tells us how to actually have this love that we can give. And then third, he tells us about this grove of love. So we've been walking through. We're in our series called Afterglow. We are in now John 15, and I'm going to read verses 5, and then I'm going to jump to verses 9 and read through 17. So here we go. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus says in verse five that He is the vine, we are the branches, and we are being called to bear fruit. Now, at the core of what bearing fruit is, to bear fruit, at the core of it, it's about love for one another, but it's about a love that extends out to feed the world around us. The fruit is literally, I mean, it's feeding our city with love. It's a picture of a grove of love. And what I want to do right now is give a vision in your mind, vision for 2018 and beyond of this. Christ is the root, nourishing us the branches. Okay, and so the branches, here's what's happening. We are reaching out into every nook and cranny of our city, offering this fruit of love that we found in Christ. And then as branches, what we're doing is we're taking hold of those people and bringing them in. So when the Bible talks about Jesus and him pursuing us, one of the words, the Greek word he he is used for this is proslumbano, which means to grasp, take hold of, and pull in. And we're called to do the same thing. That's what the love is that we have for others. We're grasping, taking hold of, and pulling in. And I don't know about you, a lot of times, I don't feel like I've got the love that is necessary to offer people that I know I'm meant to be giving to them. I mean, I'm having a hard enough time loving my family, my close friends, and this is talking about being a grove of love that is being extended to our city. It's like we all have this love tank within us. There's this tank that's meant to be filled with love. And when we look at, I mean, when I look at the way the Bible's calling me to love people, I'm looking at this tank within me and I'm saying, there's not enough love in here for me to love people the way that the Bible's calling me to love. So what do I do about that? 
What do we do about that? Knowing that we should love and acting loving are at odds with each other for us. And the whole reason is because we have this tank that doesn't have enough love in it to give to other people. It's, it's not filled up enough. And see, the, the, the problem the Bible keeps telling us is that there's this divine love that we are meant for. And when we go to this divine love, what this divine love does is fill us up with that divine love. And what we do is we go to people, we go to things as if they are divine, trying to get this love that is meant to get only from God. And, and it, those things, those people can't love us the way that God loves us. And so therefore, our love tank never gets filled up because we are not going to this divine love. So we're empty of this love versus it being filled up within us. We aren't going to God, so we aren't being filled with this love. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the reason that you lack love is because you lack me. Because you're not connected to me. You're not coming to me. You're not making me your life. I mean, Jesus is always doing this. He's always making these claims like this that are making us be like, what? What do we do about this? You were telling us to just go all in with you with everything. He's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And when, when I meet with couples for premarital counseling, one of the things that I talk about sometimes is a love tank. And I use it in a different way, not the way we were just talking about, but kind of the same. Each person has this love tank, and they need that love tank to be filled by their spouse. And when that love tank is filled, they're better able to actually love their spouse back because everybody's love tank is being filled up. And when the love tank isn't being filled up, what happens is that person's not feeling loved, and so they're not loving back in return. And so they become angry. They're, they're feeling resentful to their spouse. And then here's what happens. Someone doesn't feel loved, so they don't really love their spouse and then because they're not loving their spouse, they're not loving their spouse back. And so there becomes this chain reaction where everybody's being drained of love because nobody's loving them. And, and then it just becomes this downward spiral of lovelessness versus that being reversed. And someone takes the risk of loving first. And that love starts to fill the other. And then the other feels, okay, I feel loved. I can love back. And, it, and that happens. And then that happens more. And it happens more. And then you, the next thing you know, there's a flourishing relationship of love. And this isn't just for marriages. This is in all relationships. This is in friendships. There's a back and forth where we can be filling each other up with love. Now, the Bible's telling us that something has happened to humanity. We have fallen from love towards God. We ran him out of our lives. And there's a love that we're meant to experience from God alone. And when we aren't going to him for that love, then our love tank, which is within us, it's meant to be filled with God's divine love for us. It's not getting filled up. And then that's why we can't love others like we're meant to love them. And when your love tank isn't filled by God, something happens we become increasingly more and more selfish. I mean, this makes sense. Think about it. When we need, like if you're starving, 
All you can think about is that you're hungry. Well, if we are at the core of what humanity is, is if we are lovers and we aren't being loved by God, then that means we're not getting something that we long for most. And so it turns us into people who say, I need this, I need this, and I'm not getting it somewhere. And so we become more and more selfish because we have this deep satisfaction that isn't getting met. And a sign that Jesus says you're not loving others, one, there's a selfishness because you're not experiencing love from God, but also, two, there's a lack of joy in your life. Jesus says, I've said all of these things to you to love one another so that you might have my joy in you and so that your joy may be filled, may be full. In other words, we are lovers and we're meant to love. And when we're not doing what we're meant to do, we will lack joy in our life. I mean, people always are wondering why I'm not experiencing great joy in my life. And if you take Jesus' logic here, the very reason we're not experiencing joy is because we aren't loving like we're meant to love. We're not doing what we're meant to do at the very heart of who we are. We're not doing it. I mean, just come on, admit it. You're not as happy as you want to be. And what Jesus is saying is, is because we're not loving like we're meant to. Okay, so if we could just admit this, that we're not loving like we're meant to, then we can realize we have fallen from this love of God that we're meant to have for him. And by the way, if you're like doing some mental gymnastics in your mind, trying to figure out how you, you really are loving people well, um, I'm not saying that you're not loving people well, but here's what I'm saying. Let's say everybody on the earth started loving people. Well, maybe I am saying you're not loving people well, but if, if everybody on the earth loved like you loved, maybe this world would get a little bit better. But it's not going to produce the world that you long for. It's not going to give you this world that you long for. Could it be that this helps explain why things are the way that they are? The root of all problems is that we have fallen from love for God. So we've got this empty tank, and what we need what we need is a divine love to come and pursue us and love us like we're meant to feel loved. And by the way, every sin, whatever you want to call it, every sin, it's a reaction to not having your tank filled up. You're, you're acting out of frustration because you're not feeling loved, and so you just erupt in sin. Things aren't going the way you want them to go in life, and you just start erupting in sin. The problem is you're not feeling loved. And so this feedback loop starts spiraling and it just gets worse and worse and worse and we become less and less human. We need Jesus to come and end this feedback loop. And that's exactly what he does. And look at what he says. He says, love one another as I have loved you. What this is saying is he's the one that came and take the, took the risk first. He's the one who has come to love first. And he's pursued you in that love. It, it, look at this. It says, love as I have loved you. This, the Greek word here is kathos, which, me, which means as, but it also can mean from. And what this is getting at is that God's love for you is the, actually the source that builds up in you the ability to love others. 
if you're not feeling loved by God, you will fail in loving others because the source, his love is not in you because you're not feeling loved by him. There's another place uh, where uh, Paul talks about this, that the love of Christ compels us and even controls us. So if we have this tank that's empty, the reality is we are controlled by this tank that is empty. We are obeying the laws of this empty tank. This empty tank is telling us how to live our lives. And we become slaves to people who have not felt loved the way they're meant to feel loved. But if we will go to him for this love, he'll give us this divine love. And then listen to what happens. We become slaves of love. We become controlled and compelled by what's inside of this love tank. And it's overflowing. It's spilling over because we're going to the divine love we are meant to go to. And here, here's the question you got to figure out. Does God love you because you keep his commandments? Or do you keep his commandments because he loves you? This, everything rests on this question. Does God love you because you keep his commandments? Or do you keep his commandments because he loves you? The answer is the second one. That's what Jesus is getting at, that he first loves us, and by his love for us, we are compelled to obey him. We are compelled to keep his commandments. This is, this is the area where people fail in understanding what Christianity is saying. Many times when people are rejecting Christianity, they reject the notion that God loves me because I keep his commandments. That's not Christianity. Christianity says God loves you, and that's why you want to do the things he's calling you to do. We flip it all the time. Many of you keep falling into this trap. You're saying, gosh, if I could just obey God, he's going to love me. If I could just stop sinning, then he's going to love me more. But... It's only his love for you that's going to steal you away from sin and compel you to see what life in the kingdom is supposed to be like, which is a life of love. But you're going to get to the root of God's law. You're going to get to the root of obeying God. It is simply this, love others. Love God, love others. Being a Christian is to have faith that God loves you not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. So then, okay, then we ask, what is this love then? What is this love? I mean, we're talking about this love tank. How do we get this love tank filled up? What is this love that will fill up our love tank? Jesus says this, no greater love than when someone lays down his life for his friends. Now, we got to get to some understanding here because these verses can become a bit confusing because the question is, well, is Jesus laying down his life for me because I'm his friend? There's another place in the Bible where it says Jesus died for us while we were still his enemy so that we could we become friends. So the question is, what's going on here? And, and, and I'll tell you, these two concepts are so woven together that if you are obeying his commandments, it's because you're his friend. But if you aren't, it's because you're not his friend. That's what it's saying. So here's the reality of what Christianity is saying. 
Jesus died for his enemies to make them into his friends. That's the whole premise of Christianity. The ultimate act of selflessness. And here's, there's a common problem, by the way, in understanding Jesus. So a lot of times people will say, Jesus is this fantastic example for us. Look at the way he lived. Look at, look at how he treated the people around him. And he even died loving people. He's a great example. And I want you to know that if you just make Jesus your example and your teacher, you will be crushed under the weight of his perfection because you will never be able to love like he loves. He didn't die to show you what love looks like. He died because he loves you. He died in your place. He died as your substitute. He died so that you might live. Otherwise, he just crushes you under the weight of his perfection. And that's not real love anyways. That's like, let me show you how great I am. Look how much I love you. Look, how, look, look watch. No, we want a greater love than that. We want a love that's going to pursue us and die for us. That's real love. And if he never died, then we still have to deal, for our sins, then we still have to deal with the fact that we cannot love the way we know we're meant to love. And then we never have this resource within us. Because here's what happens. In the resurrection, you know what the resurrection does to you? It resurrects this love within you that's meant to be there the whole time. That's what resurrection is doing. It's resurrecting love within you. And think about this. If he dies for your sins, past, present, future, then you know what that means? You have nothing left to prove to God. You don't have to do anything to earn a status with him. So you know what that means? You can stop thinking about how God feels about you because you already know that he loves you eternally forever. And then here's what that does to you. You can stop thinking about yourself because if you're thinking about how does God feel about me, then you know what that does? You keep thinking about yourself. And it gets this cycle of selfishness. But if you could just say, okay, God loves me. There's nothing I can do to get away from this love. There's nothing I can do to prove it. Then you know what that does? It allows you to stop thinking about yourself and just rest that everything has been accomplished. Because our actions will always be selfish if we're always trying to prove to God that he should love us. We become consumed with how God feels about us. And even when we try to put it out of our minds, there's still something within us that says, how does God feel about me? Even if we say, I don't even know if there's a God, there's a little part of us that still says, ah, yeah, there's something. Why do I need to live a certain way? But if he says, I love you no matter what, then we can love without getting, needing to get anything in return. And so that means now our love is selfless. And the problem is, we don't really think God loves us. Or if we say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, he loves me, but it's like, he loves me this much because of the things I've done in my life. I'd like to be here, but I'm here. Maybe there's a couple things I could do to get up here. Well, look at what Jesus says. I love you just as much as I love the Father, and my Father loves you just as much as he loves me. The most amount that you could be loved in all the cosmos you have.
the whole thing that's being said here is if you will just see and have faith and believe that Christ loves you so much that he would die for you, then your tank will be filled with his love and then you will just be throwing love out at people all over the place. Like a machine gun of love. God's love for you is not earned. It is bought, not by you, but by Christ on the cross. You heard before, he's paid for your sins. He bought you with his life. He ransomed you. And this is given, not because you earn it, but it's given through faith. It's all a gift through faith. And you need to know this. What Jesus is doing here by talking about friends, commandments, and all this stuff, what he's doing is he's using your love for others as a litmus test as to if you really believe he loves you. Every single time you are struggling to love people, you need to see first that it's because you don't really think God loves you. You're doubting the good news of Jesus Christ. You're doubting that he loves you so much that he died for your sins. Because if, if that was a perfect picture for you in your mind, you'd be overflowing with love for people. If you admit you need him, start pouring his love into you, and what's going to happen is you're going to become like a wellspring that's just overflowing with this love. It's spilled. I mean, you know what a spring is? A spring is water shooting up out of the ground. You've got this wellspring within you just shooting up out of you, shooting love out of you, and you've got like this, this fruit, and you're just like throwing this fruit at people and like knocking them in the head with it and knocking them out because you love them so much. I mean, this is the picture here. Just like, sorry, I'm, let me get back to my notes here. So that's what's going to happen, and I want to show you. I want to show you what this looks like. So Jesus is saying, he's the vine or the root that the branches are connected to, and he's producing a life of love within us. The same way he produces this life of love within us is the same way a branch is, gets life through the root system. And if the branch isn't connected to the root system, then it can't live the same way if we aren't connected to Christ, we can't love. The degree that we are connected to Christ and his love for us is the degree that we will love others. We will love each other, and we will love the people outside of the church. A grove of love that's causing people to get pegged in the head with this love that you have for them, and they pick this fruit up, and they take a bite of it, and they're like, oh, this is Christ's love. This is awesome. I'm going to come into the church. Uh, there's a a sociologist, his name's Rodney Stark, and he, he set out to do research as to how did Christianity rise so quickly. And when he started this research, he wasn't a Christian. And here's what he, and then he became a Christian, at least to my knowledge. And here's, and here's what uh, he found. The reason Christianity spread so quickly was because of the sacrificial love of Christians in that time. Here's what was happening. During this time, plagues were breaking out in Rome. And what the Romans were doing is the Romans were casting their friends and their family out that got sick so that the plagues didn't infest the whole city. And so they left them out to just die outside of the city gates. 
And Christians, what they did is they came, risked their lives to nurse these people back to health. And these Roman citizens were like, Christians are loving me more than my friends and my family. And we hated them. And they're loving us like this. And what happened is that their love made their message believable. And it's, it wasn't that they became Christians because they loved them. I mean, you can't, you can't throw fruit at someone and hit them in the head enough, and then they just turn into a Christian. But what's happening is that message becomes believable because they say, wow, I'm being loved by a love that's from out of this world. There must be something in this message that I wasn't hearing before. I'm telling you right now that if every single one of us, every single one of us, if we would go all in with Christ, I'm telling you our city will be changed. I have no doubt about it in my mind. And when I do have a doubt about it, I say, okay, let me remember this love from God. And I remember it and I say, oh yeah, if every one of us, if we would go all in with Christ, our city will be changed. And listen, I'm not talking about just becoming a Christian. I'm talking about that. And I'm not talking about just growing as a Christian, but I am talking about that. What I'm talking about is loving like Christ loved us already. How did he love us? He died for us. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go and die for people. But what I am saying Die to yourself and live to a life of love for the glory of God and for your joy all at the same time. And what you're going to find is if you do this, you're going to have more joy in you than you thought you could have and you're going to see a city changed by it all. I'm not being overly triumphalistic here. I'm not saying that this isn't going to be hard work. What I'm saying, I mean, it's hard work to love people, but what I'm saying is if we do this, our city will be changed. What would it look like if every single day we lived with a willingness to die to ourselves and live a life of love for others? And you hear me say that, and you say, that sounds exhausting. And I hear myself say it, and I say, that sounds exhausting. And then I say, ah, you know what our problem is? We're not resting in the love of Christ. Because if we were, we wouldn't be exhausted, even by the thought of it. So you say, what would it look like to do that? And then you start loving your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers that way. And they take notice. And then you see this rise of Christianity happening within the city. I mean, that's my daughter, and she's so excited about it right now. I wish you guys would cry out like that. Um, People will take notice. That's what I'm saying. And then it makes the message of Christianity more relevant, more believable. So you get to tell them about it, or you invite them here and they get to hear about it. The degree that you are connected to Christ and his love for you is the degree that you want to connect others to his love. I want 2018 to be the year about inviting people in on Sunday mornings. 
into this grove of love. We're not, we're not inviting them in just for the sake of inviting them in to be like, oh, hey, I'm going to love you as an example. But we're inviting them in because we really love them. And we really want to see them know Jesus. It's a very different thing. This is not about strategies. This is about being compelled and controlled by love. So the question is then, who's God calling you to invite into the grove? And why haven't you done it yet? And when I ask that question, I'm not asking it like, how dare you not invite people? What I'm saying is, what do, what do, tell me what we need to do differently. What are the reasons why you're not inviting people in as of this point, if there is any, and tell me so we can make the changes. Now, if you tell me, hey, David, you talk about the Bible a lot. I don't know if that's a good thing. Well, listen, I think the Bible is the greatest thing to have ever happened in this world. So that's all I'm going to want to talk about. So I'm going to talk about the Bible. But logistically, if we can do something different, you got to come and tell me. This is so important for us to see this movement of Christianity birth where we're saying, hey, this is, we're doing something unique in the Grove and we want to see this go out into our city. We've got to bring people into it. It'd be great, you know, I mean, it's already so wonderful. Like we get to talk about what we're doing and we see some people coming in and it's so great, but, but we're like hogging it. I want everybody to be able to come into this. And remember, our great hope is that we be a place where Christians are growing and flourishing in their faith, where unchurched people are coming back in and skeptical people say, I can belong here and I can participate in helping to build a flourishing city for people emotionally and socially and and those types of things. But my prayer is that all of us would become Christians. Listen, 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 church. Look upon Jesus Christ crucified in your place. You're not going to see someone who's died as an example. You're going to see someone who has died for you. Not to show you how to live. He died so that you might live. Far different thing. And then what you're going to find is if you take hold of that, you're going to find that you're not loving people to give them an example of what love looks like. You're just loving them because you love them. You don't know what else to do. It's very different. So let's love people and bring them in. And let's go out to bring them in. This, This vision of us as branches that are taking hold of people the way that Christ has taken hold of us and pulling us in. Not because we want the grove to succeed, but because we want Christ to be known. The grove does not exist for the grove. The grove exists for Christ and his glory and our joy.